If you're pleasing your master well in all things, you are doing an accurate job. Whatever he tells you to do, you're doing it the way he told you to do it, and you're doing it well the way he told you to do it. Christians do their job right with a great care for accuracy and detail so they can be fully reliable to their masters. Joseph must have been. Daniel must have been. David must have been. He went in and out and came in before all of Israel, and they knew he was behaving himself wisely. Christians are scrupulous about doing a job the right way the first time. Your better idea is not better, or they would already be doing it. The exceptions do not change the rule. Do it the way you're told to do it, and do it quickly and do it accurately. Don't try to come up with something new. Do it the way they want it done. They can change it. Christians work accurately. Let's call that number eight of what we're going to cover today. Christians work fairly. That means they value righteousness and mercy above profits or riches. The Bible tells us that mercy rejoices against judgment. So when you have a choice that you can make on the side of mercy against judgment, you choose mercy. If you can choose mercy against sacrifice, mercy is more important than sacrifice. That's an Old Testament principle and it's a New Testament principle. It's in Hosea 6.6, it's in Matthew 12. David knew it before either passage was written because he had the spirit of the living God in him. And he knew he could eat the showbread when it was not lawful for a man from the tribe of Judah to touch the showbread. But Christians work fairly. Let's think about that for a moment. In Proverbs chapter 11, look at what it says there. Proverbs chapter 11. There's a rule in capitalistic economics that says you can charge as much for a product as the market will bear. Raise your prices as high as you can. That's the rule. That's the suggestion of laissez-faire, capitalistic, American business. Charge as much as you can. Because when you reach the price that you shouldn't be charging, you won't have any business. But up to that point, it'll be very profitable business. But let's let the Word of God answer some of these questions. Matthew chapter 11, verse 26. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him. But blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. When it says holding corn, why would a man that's got corn and there's demand for corn hold it? Because he's got a corner or a near corner on a market and he wants to get maximum profit out of it. But there's a place for mercy and that's why I used the mercy principle just a minute ago. And this verse teaches us that that is not the rule of God's economic system. That if you've got corn, there's a fair price for that that you can sell that people will bless you for it. But if you withhold it until there's a corner on the market and then you can sell it when people are starving to death at a higher price, that is wrong by the Bible. So though we may be libertarian economically in some respects, if the Bible overrules a certain theory or rule of libertarian economics, we discard it. Mercy is part of how we ought to work. And so that's why we have this point. Christians work fairly. And fairly means that they value righteousness, what is right, as defined by God, and mercy more than making a lot of money. If a big farmer controls all the corn, he is able to hold it and drive prices upward. Some of you may remember the Hunt brothers in the early 80s when they drove silver to the price of $50 an ounce because they had a near corner 
with some Saudi princes helping them with cash flow on the silver market. The rules were changed, broke the Hunt brothers, and silver quickly in two days was $10.80 an ounce. Because the corner didn't hold. But the Bible here teaches in a great text. It's one of these pithy sayings of Solomon's observations that withholding corn in order to drive the price up so that people can't afford it and can't eat, the people shall curse that man because he's being cruel. But the blessings, but blessings by those same people shall be upon the head of him that sells it. There's a great principle of righteousness and fairness. So the rule is Christians work fairly because they value righteousness and mercy over profits. How about Proverbs chapter 20? I hope you got that lesson. We've we got to go on. Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. This is about buying now. Instead of being a seller, let's talk about buying. And Christians buy fairly. Are, do you have a trader's mentality? Do you like to barter? Do you like to talk people down? On their selling prices. If you do, some of you would just rather get the thing over with and pay their asking price and go home. But if you like to dicker and barter, pay attention. You're not alone. But let's think about what the Bible says. And I love, I love this wisdom. We're in the library with our Father. He's saying, let's take down the book of Proverbs and check, about, check out buying and see what it means for Christians to work fairly. Proverbs 20 and verse 14. It is not, it is not, saith the buyer. But when he has gone his way, then he boasteth. You're walking around a used car. What's, what's this dent here? Did, did, you know, did you know that there's rust down here underneath this rocker panel? Tire, how old are the tires? They look like they've been worn quite a bit. You walk around bringing up all the things that are wrong with this car or other thing that you're looking at to purchase and you're saying it is nothing this isn't worth anything this is trash look at all the problems with it you're asking too much for it whether you say the words or not you're forcing the person to bring their price down because you're pointing out all the things that are wrong with it then you buy it for a reduced price and as soon as you get home you're boasting to your wife look what I got below market I bought this car below market I got a steal I've said this before. I got a steal. Yes, you got a steal because you just stole something. You stole it by extortion. Extortion was pointing out marks of being used on a used car. What do you think a used car is supposed to look like? A new car? You want to buy a new car for a used price? You're a thief. If you want a new car, pay a new car price. This is in the Bible. This is Proverbs 20 and verse 14. Hey, have you ever heard anyone say, I got a steal? Or somebody say, that's a steal. It is. And so we don't want to do that. You want to pay a fair market price. And let me tell you, if a widow is selling something, give her a asking price and give her enough to go out to eat that night. Right. It's nothing. It's nothing, saith the buyer. It isn't worth that price. But when he has gone his way, then he boasteth. If your talk about what you bought is any different than your talk from whom you bought it, you're a liar and a thief. The way you talk to the seller should be exactly the way you tell your family about the price you paid for the thing. If you're getting a good deal, tell the seller. 
Thank you for the good deal. I can't believe you're selling it this cheap. Oh, what if you raise the price on me? They won't. But that's the way you ought to talk out of the same side of your mouth or out of your mouth the same way when you buy something from a seller and when you go home and, and talk about it. If it's different, then you're a liar and you're a thief. You stole something. This is the word of God. It is not, it is not, saith the buyer, but when he has gone his way, then he boasteth. Do you love the book of Proverbs? We've been over, many of you have heard this verse before, but I want every young person in this church to hear this verse. If you think that by dickering and getting someone to come down $200 on a $4,000 automobile is how you get ahead, you will be poor like you are now for the rest of your life. Guaranteed. You will never get ahead by stealing $200 out of a man's pocket on a $4,000 car. Give him his $4,000 asking price if it's a fair price, and you should do a little bit of research, and trust the Lord to take care of you for keeping Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 14. He can make up more than $200. The Lord hardly deals with such puny amounts. So why would you argue and dicker over something that's worth such a small amount of money? That is not how you get ahead. That's how a little brain thinks that you get ahead. That is not how you get ahead. Pay a fair price and trust the Lord to bless the fair man because the rule is Christians work fairly. They value righteousness and mercy over profits and riches. Jeremiah 22. Let's look at another example of being fair. Jeremiah 22. Zach, you better have a fair invoice or there's going to be trouble. And I'm s- Jeremiah 22. Zach is doing a little bit of work in our kitchen right now. But look what the Bible says. You should love this text. Jeremiah 22:13. He's embarrassed like he should be. Look at this text. I love the Bible. Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness. What's the point? Christians work fairly. What does that mean? It means we value righteousness and mercy over profits and riches and getting a deal. Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong. Well, what is this man doing wrong in the building or remodeling of his house? That useth his neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work. That saith, I will build me a wide house and large chambers, and cutteth them out windows, and it is sealed with cedar and painted with vermilion. When you use a brother, you make, unless it's an incidental service of charity and kindness that we trade among ourselves all the time. But if you're using a man for his trade to help you, pay him and pay him fairly. The Bible says so. This is Christians work fairly. So even if you're using a neighbor, a brother, who's, who's, you're using his trade, you're using what he uses to make a living, in your house, you pay him. And you pay him fair wages. Otherwise, you're doing something that is wrong and you're doing something that is unrighteous. Because thus saith the Lord. We have all the little incidental things that we do for each other. I have a vehicle being loaned to me right now. Is there a rental fee on that or just get... I mean, let me look over here. Is there a rental fee on that or do I get it back in one piece, washed, and a tank full of gas like it was when it was given to me? We consider those more incidental. 
But when a man is called upon to use his trade to help you, you should pay him. The Lord ta- Does the Lord take care of everything in the, in the, in the library, sitting with our Father? He pulls it down and shows us. I hope that we'll remember that God ordained sabbatical every seven years and that God ordained jubilee every 50 years and how the Lord took care of things like that. Remember David's rule. Do you remember how David worked fairly? When there were 200 that were too tired to go on with the other 400 in chasing the Amalekites, when they split up all the goods, the 400 that had gone on and, and whipped the Amalekites and recovered all the possessions, they didn't want to share with the 200 that had gone most of the way with them. But David made a rule that lasted in Israel to this time, when it was written in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And that is it was to be split equally because they went as far as they could. They went as far as they could, so in that particular, because who gave them the victory and who gave them the prayback? Was it the 400? It was the Lord. Amen. They gave them every single thing back, every single wife, every single child, and all their possessions back, so it was the Lord's blessing and it was to be split fairly. Christians work fairly. I love the Lord and I love His Word. When in doubt, mercy always trumps math. Mercy always trumps sacrifice. And it always trumps judgment. In situations where you are in a dilemma between the two, go with mercy. Err on the side of mercy, and the Lord will err on the side of mercy with you. And that's a very good thing. That was number eight. Let's go to number nine. Christians work honestly. What does it mean? Christians are meticulous about the integrity of business transactions. They do everything as honestly as they possibly can. And if you're going to err, err on the side of the other party, not on yours. They know God's watching every transaction a Christian does. And they know they cannot lose by being generous. If you're measuring out something, you measure it out fairly. If you're going to do anything and not measure exactly, overmeasure. You say, well, if I overmeasured and gave 17 ounces for a pound, I'd eventually go broke. Try it. Why don't you try the Lord for a year? Instead of giving 15 per pound, or 15 and three quarters, why don't you try 17? Does it ever work in a restaurant when people are expecting four ounces of meat and you give them five? Do they take care of you? Do they come back? Have we, do we know about that? It works. Right. Does the Bible have anything to say on this subject? Does it say it once? Does it say it twice? Does it say it five times? Does it say it ten? Look at Leviticus chapter 19. The Lord, is, the Lord is serious about these kind of business transactions. Amen. We have a wonderful department in our government, and though we may criticize our government at time, we have a department of weights and standards and measurements that drives around to make sure that a gallon of milk has 128 ounces, fluid ounces of milk in it. Are you thankful for that? Yes. What if you just took a pail and walked up to somebody that had it in a bucket, and they poured from the bucket into the pail and said, that's it, there's a gallon. But it was only 123 ounces. What if there were gas pumps around town that only pumped 126 fluid ounces of gasoline instead of 128? Have you ever noticed the little stickers while you're standing there pumping that this pump was last inspected by so-and-so on such-and-such a date? Because we have enforcement of weights and measures. Look at the Bible and and the importance of this. We always want to work honestly, always giving a fair amount for what is being purchased. Verse 35. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment, in meat yard, in weight, or in measure. 
When you're measuring out cloth, you measure it out and give them a full measure. When you're measuring something by weight, full weight. Just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hen shall ye have. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe all my statutes and all my judgments and do them. I am the Lord. Did he get your attention? Does he think this is important? So when you're weighing something out or measuring something out, always give a full weight, full measure. Don't ever cheat. In these days, they had different weights. Criminals would. They would have a weight that said it was a pound, but it was only 15 ounces. And they would put that in the scale so they were not selling you a full pound. And so the Lord went after that over and over in the Bible. There's over 10 passages where the Lord hammers on this particular point that He wants us to always be honest. How is it put in the New Testament? The first two words of Titus 2.10. Not purloining. What is purloining? What does the word purloining mean? Since you probably didn't use it in a sentence this past week. It means to pilfer or to filch. Well, since you didn't use either of those two words this past week, what, what do they mean? To speculate. Small thefts. To steal by misappropriation, especially things of small value, to take away surreptitiously, to embezzle, to misappropriate, to take dishonestly, is purloining. And it says, two words, not purloining. So when we're on the job, we're always honest. If the boss says, I want you to try to do these three things while I'm gone, and he's going to be gone all afternoon, we honestly apply ourselves as diligently as we can for those hours of the afternoon. We do not say the next morning when he says you were only able to get two of them done, yeah, I was only able to get two of them done, when you could have got all three done if you would have applied yourself honestly while he was gone. Because remember, we want to be faithful. But right now we're working with honesty. When we're told to do something, we do it. When there's a transaction, we always pay fairly. If you're in a store and the, and the clerk gives you back the wrong change, do you go give it back to her? Do you get it back to her? Do you show her the error and put it back in? Christians work honestly. The Bible always wants us to be honest. We're to provide things honest in the sight of all men. The Apostle Paul did that. We want to have an honest reputation before the whole world. 1 Thessalonians 4.12 so we want to work honestly. Christians work generously. Look at Ecclesiastes 11. Ecclesiastes 11. We are entering harder times than it has been. These harder times could get harder. But as we, as we think about harder times, jobs may get fewer, wages may be cut, and we're going to face dilemmas of do I still give? I can't afford to give as much as I used to. I can't afford to give the way I used to. I don't know if I can give at all. There's a passage that we went over in detail, and it's Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6. Christians work generously. They keep casting their bread upon the waters. Because the Bible tells them to. 
And it tells them not to observe the wind, not to observe the clouds. And we have storm clou- economic storm clouds on the horizon, but we don't look at them and let them frighten us. We keep doing what we know the Lord wants us to do because He can get rid of storms. He can say, peace, be still, in a certain place. And He can say it for us. You, I hope you remember the passage. You know, we, we, we preach expositionally through the Bible, so when we refer to a passage like this, it doesn't need to be re-preached again. Cast thy bread upon the waters in the first verse, for thou shalt find it after many days. You may not find it the next day, but even when there are storm clouds on the horizon, cast your bread. That sounds wasteful. The kids could be eating it. The dog could be eating it. Cast your bread upon the waters. For you're going to find it after many days. That's good. Give a portion to seven. Go ahead and feed eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. We don't really know what's coming. If the clouds be full of rain, they're going to empty themselves. If the tree falls toward the south, that's where it's going to fall. He that observeth the wind shall not sow. If you worry about circumstances too much, you're going to be so afraid you won't go to work in the morning because there's a lion in the streets. And then you won't want to give because there's a lion in the streets. So pretty soon you're not doing anything. The Lord wants you to work and give, and He'll take care of you on both counts. Because it says in verse 6, In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. Meaning, get up in the morning and go to work. And in the evening, if someone comes by and wants to take part of your labor, because they in a charitable need, go ahead and give some of it away. In hard economic times. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper. The hard work or the giving, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. The Lord's able to bless them both. I like verses like that. That sounds like win-win to me. Get up and go to work and give that evening, and the Lord will take care of you. Christians give generously. Back there in Proverbs chapter 11, where it said, He that selleth his corn, the people shall bless him. What does it say in the verses before that? It says, The liberal soul shall be made fat. What kind of soul? The liberal soul. What's, other, what's another word for liberal? Generous. What's, the, what's a, an antonym for liberal? Stingy. Tight. The stingy and tight man's going down because the Lord's not going to bless him. The liberal man's going to be blessed. And by, a liberal man by liberal things is going to stand. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 8. What does it also say in this passage? Verse 24, Proverbs eleven twenty-four. We've been over this so many times. There is that scattereth, but it tendeth to increase. You can throw away your money and it tends to increase. That is not taught anywhere. And that's why I said mercy trumps math. My last class in an MBA program was quantitative methods at the Eastern Michigan University. When I came home and threw my book against the wall and told Sherry, I'll never go back there again. I'm sick of being told by a man who's never done the job how to do the job when I was already employed to do the job. Because he wanted to quantify it all on the board. That is not how businesses make decisions. Businesses make decisions by their manhood. Not by mathematics. And the point here I want to make is, math doesn't work when it comes to God's orders. When God says to do something, He operates above math. He's able to put holes in your bags so that the math doesn't work in the negative sense and you have less than you thought you should have had by measuring the yield in the field. And he's able to patch up those bags and cause your shoes to last for 40 years so that math doesn't work on the other end of the scale. Because things last longer than they should. 
There is that scattereth, but it tendeth to increase. Christians are always generous. When we're down to saltines, butter, and winking our wine from Aldi's, we're going to share it. Hey, they sell, they sell Cabernet for $2.99 a bottle. Listen, you can't manufacture a bottle, cork it, vacuum seal it, cork it, and ship it for two ninety nine. I wonder what they put in it. <laughs> but hey, if we're... Re- Some of you in here call it stinking owl. If we're reduced to, if we're reduced to saltines, butter, and stinking owl, we're going to share it. Because there is that withholdeth more than his meat, and it tends to poverty. Right. Now wait a minute. If I'm keeping some back, I should have it. I should be getting ahead because I'm keeping some back. It doesn't work. Forget your math! Not really, students. <laughs> When the Lord says to do something, it's better than math. It's higher than high math. It's higher than higher math. It's His math. And you can scatter and it tends to increase. And you can withhold more than His meat. When you would think that would increase, it tends to poverty. This is the word of the Lord. We've preached on it before. It's wonderful. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. You want good returns in your life? Here's how you get them. Proverbs chapter 3. Christians work generously. Proverbs 3. Nine, honor the Lord with thy substance. And you don't honor him by dropping a buck or two. Honor the Lord with thy substance. Show him how much you love him. By how, much. how did David do it? Did David spend most of his life after he conquered all his enemies? Applying himself mightily to gather as much material as he could? How much was he able to gather? How much was the weight of the brass and the iron? Or couldn't it be weighed? Was the silver and gold the highest numbers we have in all of the Old Testament? He applied himself because he was honoring the Lord because anything for the Lord needs to be exceeding magnificent. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Give him the first part, not what's left over. You know, most people give what's left over. And do you know what? In today's society, the way people spend today, how much is left over? None. None. So honor the Lord with thy substance. Honor Him. Reverence Him. Show Him how important He is to you by the amounts you give. And give Him the first fruits of all increase. He comes off the top. You pay Him first. Because if other expenses come up, you're going to cut yourself, but you're not going to cut the Lord. And what, what happens? So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. That sounds good. But you know what? We ought to keep Proverbs 3, 9, even if there wasn't a Proverbs 3, 10. Because he's worthy of the honor. Amen. He deserves the first fruits. But he tacks on verse 10 because he's a kind and loving father. Just like when he told children, if you'll honor your parents, I'll give you a long and a good life. And he said, it's my first commandment with a promise. This is further down the list. This is another commandment with a promise because it comes after Exodus chapter 20, where it was the first commandment with promise. Christians work generously. Look at 1917 before we leave this point. Oh, these are rules you'll never hear in a, never get in a Harvard MBA. I don't care if it's the Wharton School or the University of Michigan or Stanford's Business School. You aren't going to hear rules like this. They're not smart enough to know these kind of rules. These rules are reserved for God's children. 
These rules are way higher than they'll ever attain to. They're way down on earth, like monkeys, that they say they came from, adding 2 plus 2 on the board equaling 4. But when you have 2 plus 2 with God's blessing, it doesn't equal 4. You can have 2 plus 2, take away 5, and end up with 6 by God's blessing. I've had more people write me about that particular proverb, Proverbs 11.24, where I said that in the opening lines. They've written me and said, did you make a mistake? Because they just don't get it yet. They thought that I made a mathematical mistake. But no, the whole point is God operates above math. Believe it. Look at Proverbs 19.17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. Do you want to become a bank? Do you want to become a bank yourself? Your, Your banking family. Start a banking dynasty. Olean sons. You lend to the poor. Look at what it says. And he, that which he hath given him will he pay him again. What's the loan loss provision when you lend to the poor? What's the non-accrual portion? The percentage? There is none. Everything gets paid back. Because it's the Lord that pays back. These are business principles. This is the business school of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God. I love a verse like that. It's a business secret. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. It's coming back. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Thank you, Lord. Christians work prayerfully. You know, that means you submit everything you're, gonna, you're, you're planning on doing to the will of God. Look at Genesis. Oh, I'm just going to tell you about Genesis. When Jacob, when Jacob had his head on the stones, and the Lord appeared to him with those angels coming up and down the ladder into heaven, and he told the Lord, he said, if you'll be with me, take care of me, I'll give you a tenth of all you give me. Do, do you know that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Did the Lord take care of him? Did he go from staff to two bands? Okay. How about his father Isaac? Where do you think he learned that from? School? Horton School or Stanford? Where did he learn that? To give 10%. Had Abraham given 10% in his life, who did he give it to? Do you you know the Bible? Melchizedek, he gave 10% of all the spoil. Isaac did the same thing. Do you know what it says in Genesis 26, 12 about Isaac? He sowed in that land. (laughs) Do you want a 10,000% return in a portfolio? John Paulson's the greatest hedge fund manager we know. He got 400% in the year 2007. Let me show you something a little bit better than 400%. Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year an hundredfold. That's 10,000%. And the Lord blessed him. Praise the Lord. The Lord blessed him. Do you know how this blessing takes place? Lord, if you'll take care, if you'll be with me. I'll give you a tenth of all that you give me. That's where it comes from. So we do it prayerfully. Yes, we do it prayerfully. And we're excited to pray about our businesses. Look at Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Some of you like Psalm 90. Some of you like Psalm 91. Look at this verse in Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verse 17. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Those good words? And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, 
the work of our hands, establish thou it. There's a great prayer. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yea, establish the work of our hands. Christians work prayerfully. When you're going to go up a tree, you pray for safety. Whatever you do, pray for it. Ask the Lord to bless your effort. Look at Psalm 144. Psalm 144. A favorite psalm of our church over the last ten years. Verse 11 is part of the prayer. Rid me and deliver me. Psalm 144, 11. Rid me and deliver me from the hand of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Lord, save us from deceivers and hypocrites for this reason, for these reasons. Look at these glorious reasons that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace, that our garners may be full, affording all manner of store, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our streets, that our oxen may be strong to labor, that there be no breaking in, no nor going out, that there be no complaining in our streets. Happy is that people that is in such a case, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Do you pray for your business every day? Do you pray for your job every day? Look at that. Wonderful sons and daughters, garners full, barns bursting, sheep reproducing faster than you could ever measure, oxen strong to labor. You're dropping a couple bottom plow behind your ox while the neighbor's pulling a single bottom. That's all I know about farming. Christians work prayerfully. What a wonderful, what a wonderful way to approach work. Look at Proverbs 14. I'm, I'm passing over some, and I hope you'll take the time to sit down. Do you know what? If there's 44, and you have devotions five or six days a week that doesn't have a preparatory mail, let's say six, then you've got seven weeks covered with one rule per night with your family. I just did devotions for you for seven weeks. If you print this thing off in the next 24 hours from the website and go over one rule with your children and think about how, you, how they can apply it to schoolwork, how they can apply it to homework, and how parents can apply it in the job and how they can apply it in the job when they grow older. Proverbs 14 and verse 4. This is Christians work wisely. They learn how to leverage their efforts. Proverbs 14:4, Where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increases by the strength of the ox. One little verse, one little statement, and it's teaching that income-producing assets are wonderful things to get your hands on in order to leverage your efforts. A shovel leverages your efforts, I agree. Because if you don't have a shovel, you've got to do it with your hands or a dull stick. If you've got a shovel, you've got a lever. If you've got a shovel, you've got an incline. You've got some of the simple machines you learn about in the third grade. A shovel's good, but an ox, oh, an ox is better. An ox is a lot better. But in order to buy an ox, you have to save up. You can't go out to eat as many times. There's not as much uh, hot, hot and readies. You can't have as many hot and readies if you're going to save up for an ox because it costs a lot of money to get an ox. And in the first day you bring that ox home, it's making so much noise because it wants about 20 pounds of cheap, I mean, of your best grain. And so it's eating you out of house and home. You had to pay a whole lot of money for something that's eating you out of house and home. And every one of you that has bought heavy equipment or extra rigging or pulleys or dump trailers or other equipment, you know that all those things work and they help you earn money. But it takes wisdom. There are whole societies that have never figured it out. Right. They still think that the best way to live is to throw a boomerang at a running rabbit. 
carry stuff on your head instead of ever thinking of a wheel. A wheel's a pretty decent, simple machine. It rolls. It's amazing. It rolls. You know, the Indians used to drag stuff behind dogs. Their transportation was called a trevoy. T-R-A-V-O-I-S. Two sticks strapped to a dog. And you would tie your stuff to the two sticks and you hope it wasn't breakable. And the dog would chase every rabbit between point A and point B, but he might get there because he needed supper. And then you would undo your two sticks. But there's, there's machines. And one machine is an ox. And you don't have an ox? You don't want to make that investment? What investments does it apply to you? It talks about taking a class, learning a different skill, enhancing your skills, getting some credentials, getting certification, getting an additional certification, doing something so that you are living wisely and preparing wisely so that you can leverage your efforts. But that farmer, when he's got an ox that's fed, he can put him out there and drop a plow behind him and he can start doing acres. Chainsaw is decent too. It's better than an axe. Would you like to see these guys taking down an 80-foot tree with an axe? They go all the way up the tree, and they're up there at the top, chopping on that thing, trying to get a good position. they got chainsaws. That, you know, but it takes a lot of money to buy a good chainsaw. You just don't go to Walmart and buy a Walmart chainsaw if you want it to work more than three times. you got to get a real chainsaw. I'm not making fun of Walmart. Walmart has its place in society because the average man who buys a chainsaw only uses it three times. So it's a perfect chainsaw for that kind of a man. But look at this is in the Bible. Proverbs 14.4, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. Your corn crib that holds all your produce, there's nothing in it. Because if you, just, if you just live off of your back, you'll only be able to produce as much as you and your children can eat. But if you get an ox, your family can live well off it. The ox can live well off it. And the crib will be full, which you can sell and buy ox too. And that's Bible capitalism. Christians work wisely. What could you do to enhance your abilities and to leverage them better? Let's go to one called skillfully. Christians work skillfully. Look at Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. When I say Christians work skillfully, Christians need to get a transferable skill for earning power and security. The Bible says, establish your work in the field and then build your house. There is an order for economic priorities in a man's life. Establish your work in the field. You find out what you can do to earn a living. You get yourself a transferable skill. In this passage, it's called a craft or an occupation so that you have a transferable skill. What do we mean by a transferable skill? Skill means that you have the ability the experience, the knowledge, or the credentials that other men in the street don't have so that you are worth more than they are. You have ability, experience, knowledge, or credentials that they don't have so that you can offer something that the rest, the other men that you are shoulder to shoulder with on Main Street do not have. It's a skill. It's transferable in that it is useful and needed in all places or most places. 
so that if this employer no longer needs you, you can go to this employer and get the same job because you have a skill that's transferable. Or you can go to another town, village, or hamlet, or city of this country or another country, and you have a skill that is in demand there. It's transferable, meaning that it's useful in more than one place. The men that I grew up with that worked in the auto plants, to work, I've told you about it before, it's terrible. They got trapped into those auto plants. The union raised the wages, and all they learned was, in this auto plant, I stand here on the two yellow footprint marks that are at a proper position from the equipment so I won't stick my head in a press. That's why the two foot marks are back here, and there's a little safety thing under them, and I got a green button and I got a red button, and I push and I push. And I do it all day long until they invent a robot that takes care of it for them and they can get rid of me. Which didn't take long because there wasn't any, there wasn't much skill going down. But you know what? Those men got trapped. That's not a transferable skill. It's not a skill and it's not transferable. You can teach any monkey to do that. And it's not transferable because the next company may want you to stand on your hands and kick them with your feet. Then you're lost. These men that grew up in union factories, they learned very isolated jobs, but they did not have a transferable skill. I have seen them, and I have seen them weep. Because they worked hard and they had huge incomes, but when that job was lost at that factory, they were helpless on the street, reduced to minimum wage. You want to think beyond that. You want a transferable skill. Look at Acts 18. Verse 1 says, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, worked. For by their occupation they were tent makers. The Apostle Paul had a backup transferable skill. It was required of young Jews. He had it. He had been to seminary. Who was his main seminary professor? Do you know? From reading your Bible. Gamaliel. He had sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was taught in all the wisdom of the Jews. He had a seminary degree. God, through Jesus Christ, had called him to be an apostle. But he still had this backup profession of being a tent maker. He had a craft. He could do something that the average man in the street couldn't. He could measure and sew and put together tents and visualize them and follow blueprints and draw blueprints and make a tent that worked. So that when you put a pole in the middle... It touched the ground all the way around. You know? And it had, it, it, it had the stays at the proper places so that you could get inside it and use it. The, the Apostle Paul gives us an example. I've given you two verses. A, man, a young man should establish his work in the field, then build his house. Before he starts worrying about buying stuff, he needs to have income for stuff. And it should be in a basic industry. You know, our society could be, be reduced... And that there will not be so many superfluous, extraneous, luxurious industries. You want to aim for something that people really need. Healthcare field's a good example of it. People actually need healthcare. You know, it's better than high-end dining. Fine dining could go the way of the dinosaur in many places. Transferable skills range from short ones, like a CNA or CDL, to long-term ones, like CPA or MD. There's a lot in between. There's two short ones you can get in three or eight weeks, and there's two long ones you can get in six or twelve years. 
but they're transferable skills. Right. And it's wisdom from the Word of God to have a craft like our brother Paul. Did, should have Paul just trusted in the Lord? Shouldn't he have just trusted in the Lord? He was a seminary graduate and he was called to be an apostle. Shouldn't he have just got into Corinth and preached? Nope. He went and found some men of like occupation that was of the same craft and he went to work. You know, he had other reasons why. Because he wanted to show the Corinthians that he could outwork them. And he wanted to show the Thessalonians that he could outwork them. So he could give a good example. Because he said, as we've already read this morning, don't I have power? He had power not to work, but he went and did it anyway. Christians work skillfully. They get a transferable skill. You know, when you go get a degree, a degree in history is not a transferable skill. It's not a skill, and it's not transferable. All it, I don't know why you just didn't make a contribution to the university of your choice. If you want to, if you want to get a history degree, I'll go, to, I'll go with you to Barnes & Noble. We'll drop 300 bucks on a bunch of books, and you can sit at home and read them. And you'll have just as much as you got out of a history class written by, taught by some revisionist that wants to tell you that things didn't really happen as they happened. If you're going to go to college, you go to college and get something that's of value. It's measured by bucks. What will, that, what will that degree turn? What skill does it have that makes me different from other people on the street? That is what I've got to get when I go to college. I just don't go to educate, to, to educate or illuminate or, or pleasure my mind. I go to get something practical that will earn dollars. That's what college is for. You know, they've tried to turn it into a liberal arts program where you can go be socialized and liberalized until you think like all of them. There's no value in that. There's no value in a liberal education. The value in, a, in an education is in a technical education where you're learning something that you can go apply. And some of you are learning some very technical things that I won't even try to describe. I might, on a good day, be able to pronounce the name of your degree. Because you're learning something very specific and very technical. Get some credentials in that field. Christians work thankfully. Do you know that a job is not a right? And are you thankful for it? When was the last time you thanked a customer or a boss for employing you? Are you thankful? Christians work thankfully. Do you know Proverbs 16.9 that Christians work providentially? A man's heart divides his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The Lord, the Lord allows you to follow your heart within the constraints of the Word of God and following wise counsel, and he'll take care of the details. We've seen it in the Bible. We've seen Ruth do it and end up in the field of Boaz. We've read James 4 where it says, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. That's trusting God's providence. We trust God's providence so much that we say, I'm going to go to bed. Because it's vain for you to rise up early to stay up late to eat the bread of sorrows. Because God gives his beloved children sleep. He does not want you worrying or fretting about your business or your job. You only do a reasonable service. And it's a diligent reasonable service. And it's a passionate reasonable service. And it's a respectable, reasonable, respectful reasonable service. And it is a peaceful reasonable service. But it's just a reasonable service. And you turn the rest over to the Lord. Because except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And except the Lord keep the company and the job and bless you in it, you labor in vain. So we work providentially. Those verses, these verses you can go over with your family and children. They're wonderful verses. Do you work peacefully on the job? Are you a peacemaker? Disruption in a divided business is as bad as a disrupted and divided kingdom or church. And the Bible says if a kingdom be divided against itself, it cannot stand. 
and a department that's divided cannot stand. In the, in the departments that you serve in, the companies that you serve in, do you make sure that you're a peacemaker? You make peace. You do not participate in office politics that would divide an office. You support the master. You stop arguing and fighting. You don't participate in it. You don't foment unrest. Christians are peaceful. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men, the Bible teaches. Let me wrap it up with these three. Very easy. Christians work exceptionally. When you go to work tomorrow, don't work to be average. Don't work to be above average. Do you know what above average means? A little less of a loser. I mean, it's just not anything to get excited about. Have you ever seen a bell curve and what they do with a standard deviation or two and what they call average and what they call above average? It's just, no, we're serving the Lord Christ. Come on. Joseph didn't aim to be average. Joseph didn't aim to be above average. Joseph was exceptional. Daniel was exceptional. We may not reach the pinnacles of power of the Persian Empire like Daniel did or the Egyptian Empire like Joseph did, but you can still aim to be exceptional. And all this put together would make you exceptional. If you put these things into practice, you would be an exception to the rule. What does exceptional mean? You are an exception to the general rule of an employee. You're better than they are. You're more punctual. You're more respectful. You're more honest. You're more diligent. You're more timely. You're more accurate. And so forth and so on. But let's aim to be exceptional because we're doing it for the Lord's sake. Because you serve the Lord Christ. And exceptional young men get rewarded. Exceptional. Oh, they all caused me a lot of work. Except Stephen Eastland Jr. Oh, that's the word except that you want to have used about you, son. Because that's what exceptional means. You stand out. You're a standout. Christians should work exceptionally. They aim for excellence, not just average or above average. If you please, please, if you please, please, oh, I'm happy. If you please a master well in all things, you are exceptional. If you please him well, so he's very happy. His soul is refreshed. Proverbs twenty-five, thirteen. And you do it in all things, you're exceptional. If we just practice what we've covered, you'll be exceptional. If you work with one heart to God and heartily to Christ, you will be exceptional. You want to refresh the heart of your boss. If a, if a work ethic, and the Bible's told us this, we've seen it. If a good work ethic glorifies God, adorns the gospel... Defends the truth. Do we want to be less than exceptional? Don't we want to be exceptional? So that we can exceptionally glorify God, adorn the gospel, and defend the truth. Therefore, that brings us to Christians work evangelistically. Do you know how we work evangelistically? We don't talk about the Lord with employees on the job. Because that's not working evangelistically. That's stealing from your employer. If you're on your lunch break or you're in the parking lot and someone asks you about the Lord, talk to them about the Lord. Have a Bible study with them. Send them to our website. Invite them to our church. Do whatever you want with them. 
But don't steal from your master on the job by talking about the Lord. You're not doing anything noble at all. You're stealing. And even a pagan would be able to recognize it. How do you work evangelistically? You're a living example of Christianity. And, you, and by your living example, you exalt Christianity as the best lifestyle possible. You are happy. You're never complaining about your spouse. You're never complaining about your children. You're not complaining about government. You are thankful. You are thankful for your job, thankful for your country, thankful for your company. You're thankful for your pay. You're thankful for your cubicle, and you're thankful that it's 78 degrees in there. You're thankful. You're cheerful. And so you do all those things, and you are working evangelistically. You're a living epistle of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're letting your light shine before men so that they can behold your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. This is what the New Testament teaches about how we are evangelistic. We show it in the job. There isn't a sentence about handing out tracts. There isn't a sentence about talking to the Lord with other pagans while you're supposed to be at work. Let the unbelievers and pagans of the world show their character by slothfulness. You show the character of a Christian by diligence. That's how we work evangelistically. Right. Last of all, Christians work expectantly. Expectantly means that Christians see by faith that there's a great payday coming in the future. Actually, there's paydays coming in the future. Some in this world and, and a big one in the world to come. They work expectantly. Do you remember Colossians chapter 3? Remember it said, don't work as a men pleaser. Do it as unto the Lord. With a single heart. Remember it said all those things and it told you why. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. An eternal inheritance is coming for those that practice Christianity on the job. Today we were reminded from 1 Peter chapter 2 that when they are wrong and you are right and you are suffering wrongfully and enduring grief that they are causing you, and you do it patiently, that is thankworthy. That is a good thing. The Lord is pleased with that. But I want to say one more thing that comes out of Colossians and other places. Not only is it thankworthy, and not only is the Lord pleased with you, the Lord is going to reward you with eternal life in the world to come, and eternal inheritance. Because there's only really one thing that would cause a person to do that. To patiently endure grief, suffering wrongfully. And it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ changing their heart. Because by nature, we want to pull a sword and fight. But by grace, we, sh we sheathe our swords and we submit patiently. Because we're expectant of a reward that's coming. Colossians 3 when it dealt with employment, when it got to the last verse, it says, And the man that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong that he hath done. That was negative reinforcement. Right? Watch how Paul by the Holy Spirit closes out the passage in Ephesians chapter 6. You know, you should compare the fraternal twin epistles. Colossians and Ephesians are fraternal twins. They're very similar. But the little differences between them are very pleasant to find. Ephesians chapter 6, the four verses are 4 through 5. In Colossians, it's 3, 22 through 25. Here, it's Ephesians chapter 6, and when we get to the last verse, it's 5 through 8. What did I say? Four through, it's 5 through 8. Ephesians chapter 6, 5 through 8. When we get down to the last verse, instead of a threat of God's judgment for wrongdoing, look what it says. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, 
The same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Whether he be bond or free, there is no respect of persons with God. He shall receive for the wrong that he hath done. He shall receive for the good thing that he hath done. There's the Lord. Son, if you go to work, when you go to work tomorrow, if you remember to do it as unto me, if you'll do good, I'll bless you. I'll reward you for every good thing you do on the job. I won't miss a single one, even though your boss may. Even though at the, it's your annual review, he only remembers three of the 45 things you did good for the department and the company. I'll remember all 45. But son, if you do wrong and ignore and reject what I've taught you, you'll also receive for that wrong that you've done. Remember to compare Ephesians and Colossians when you're reading them. The righteous know that their godliness will be rewarded here and hereafter. They remember that the earnest expectation of the creature is about to be realized. Going to work in heaven is going to be very different. Very different. Rather than self-confidence, don't try to get self-confidence. Self-confidence is not what makes winners. It's confidence in God that makes men attempt things that ordinary men would not attempt. Boaz said to Ruth when he met her, her reputation was already known, that she feared the Lord and come back with Naomi. I want to read it to you because I would hate to miss even one phrase of this little statement. And with this I close. This is what a good reputation does. And this is how a man blessed by God can lay a prophecy of blessing upon a woman. It hath been fully showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband. And how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work. And a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Did Ruth get such a blessing and such a reward? Even through the man Boaz that gave her the blessing. She is and was the great-grandmother of our brother David. She was and is a mother in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. She has a book in the library of God and named after her. It is the book of Ruth. She came to trust under the wings of the God of Israel. And so when we go to work tomorrow, we go to, oh, it's President's Day. When you go to work next, we go to work expectantly. That the Lord is going to bless us here and hereafter. We win on both fronts if we do it the Lord's way. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word to the prophet of your souls, lives, children, and children's children. And may we bring honor and glory to his name by being the cream of the working crop in the city of Greenville. For his glory and praise, not ours. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.